0: Hello, I'm Alec, and this is Scandal 101. Happy Friday! Thank you so much for tuning in. There's a lot going on in the news recently and especially in the United Kingdom with their Prime Minister resigning after a lot of other government officials had resigned in the past couple of days. I think I'm probably going to do that story next week just because There's a lot to it, and I'm not as informed, but it's been interesting watching from afar what's happening in the United Kingdom and what that is going to mean for what their new government is going to look like. So that is most likely going to be the episode next week, so we can learn about it together. This episode is not as much a scandal as it is something that I just found interesting. I had mentioned it a couple of episodes ago where I saw a news article about a camp in California where they had to shut down because of some backlash that the camp got for having a swastika symbol in their camp. The camp owners were like, it was here before... Nazi Germany existed, it's a religious symbol, but despite that, the camp ended up shutting down for the summer, and so that made me wonder, not only about the swastika, but with other symbols that have a negative connotation, are commonly associated with evil, what... Are the symbols meanings? What, Where do they come from? Why do we think of them the way that, it, that we do? So this episode is going to be talking about various symbols and I did not research all bad symbols because that would take a long time. So there might be a second part to this in the future to just talk about more symbols, but this one includes a lot of big hitters such as the swastika, the number 666, the skull, and then finally the pyramid with an eye. So without further ado, here are the sources I used for this episode. I used a history.com article titled Day of the Dead an article by Lorraine B. from smithsonian.com, an article by Mutki Jane Campion from BBC News, an article from David Roos from How Stuff Works, two Wikipedia pages, and then an article by Matthew Wilson from BBC Culture. Those are my sources for this episode, so let's dive into evil symbols and their history probably one of the most notorious symbols for evil and hate is the swastika. Even though many people today associate the symbol with Hitler, the Nazis, mass murder and genocide, the symbol has not always been perceived that way and to some, it is still not an evil symbol. This symbol, it goes way back thousands of years. Compared to how long the symbol has been around, compared to how long people have thought of it as an evil and bad symbol, it's really been thought of as a bad symbol for a short amount of time. The swastika originally has been used as a symbol of good fortune in many cultures across the world. In the language of Sanskrit, swastika means well-being. It was used by Hindus, Buddhists, and Jains for thousands of years, and the swastika is assumed to be an Indian sign and symbol. The swastika, it became a popular trend at the back half of the 1800s and the 1900s, early 1900s, when tourists and travelers from the West went to Asia, and they were inspired by the positivity and the longevity of the swastika symbol. There were huge fads of the swastika, but especially in the United States. Coca-Cola made pendants in the shape of a swastika. There were decks of cards that had swastikas on it, and there were ads using the swastika to promote food and just whatever products were being sold. So for a good chunk in American history, late 1800s through about the early 40s of the 1900s the swastika was a pretty popular symbol and I'm gonna when I post the pictures related to this episode on social media I found some pictures of a coca-cola swastika some advertisements with a swastika and it all looks cheerful and happy and it's quite a sight to see when we're so used to associating it with the negativity that it recently has gotten. Not only was it a popular symbol in marketing, but it was also used by the American military during World War I. So even the United States, their armed forces who eventually would help defeat Nazi Germany back in World War One, and as late as 1939 was using the symbol on planes, it It was just a popular symbol, but obviously when the Nazis and Hitler and Germany came to power, that use stopped. The symbol came to Germany through an interesting story. There was a German businessman named Heinrich Schleiman, and he traveled to Ithaca, Greece in 1868 with the goal to find the ancient city of Troy using Homer's Iliad. He traveled over a span of several years, going back and forth, when he eventually found two things. He found what is believed to be the city of Troy, but more relative to our story, he found the symbol of the swastika. And of course, he didn't rediscover the symbol of the swastika as it was being used in other parts of the world, but he found about 1,800 variations of the swastika. In this archaeological search, he found this symbol, and he found it everywhere when he was searching. After this discovery, he not only found it a lot in his archeology span project, but he started to see it around the world. The Gold Coast of Africa, Tibet, Paraguay, this symbol, It was everywhere, and as we talked about earlier, it was growing in popularity in the West, and it was growing in popularity, unfortunately, at the same time as something else was, nationalism and Germany. In 1896, there was a British linguist named Archibald Sace, which, first of all, what an old-fashioned name, but he wrote, quote, The antiquities unearthed by Dr. Schleiman at Troy acquire for us a double interest. They carry us back to the later stone ages of the Aryan race." Originally, the term Aryan was used to delineate the Indo-European language group, and it wasn't used in a racial manner. So even though it can today have racial connotations, it wasn't always that way, and it still technically is not. Linguists started to notice that there were some similarities between the languages of German, Romance, and Sanskrit, which was probably cool, just like, oh my gosh, hey, look at these similarities. But what wasn't cool was the interest in eugenics and racial hygiene that were also popular at the time so the similarities between the german language these other languages it led to a corrupt version of aryan which remember it's a term to delineate languages but now it's being corrupted by disgusting people where they believed it described an ancient master racial identity and that this ancient race had clear ties to the modern society of Germany. And of course, with this ancient perfect race, this symbol of the swastika being found everywhere at this new site, this symbol was clearly a representation of their superiority. Did it matter that this symbol had been used across the world and in, ob- in almost every culture for thousands of years? No, not at all. Because of course, this symbol clearly shows close ties to this perfect race and this perfect society, which happens to be Germany. Bullshit. Anthropologist Gwendolyn Like wrote, quote, The link between the swastika and Indo European origin, once forged, was impossible to discard. It allowed the projection of nationalist feelings and associations onto a universal symbol, which hence served as a distinguishing boundary marker between non Aryan or rather non German and German identity. As Hitler's power grew, he and the Nazi regime used this swastika. As their symbol, they used it as a symbol of power. And though the Nazi regime and government is long gone, the symbol continues to represent hate to many. And it is popularly, well, I don't know, popular is the right word, but it is often being used by white nationalist groups, alt right groups, to, I don't know. I don't know if they're trying to show their allegiance with Nazi Germany, if they're trying to prove that they're the Aryan race that is so pure, but it's commonly used with alt-white and alt-right groups, white nationalism. And what once was a symbol of well-being, just kind of all-around wellness, is now a symbol of hate to many. Will the meaning of well-being ever come back to dominate the conversation and dominate the meaning of the swastika? Personally, I don't think so just because the people who use the swastika as a hate symbol are often the loudest people who are talking though they are not the majority, they are a loud minority. And of course, I could be wrong, there are terms that communities, whether it be racial, sexual orientation, religious, there are symbols, phrases that have been taken back by the community. One that comes to my mind right away is the term queer. For a long time, years ago, it was used as an offensive term but now it has been reclaimed by the LGBTQ plus community and is now a synonym to gay and like being a member of the community or in the queer community. Phrases and symbols can be taken back. This one maybe could be, but I think it's going to be a long time, if ever, if that happens. Next up we have the famous number 666. Most people likely think of this as the devil or an evil spirit when they hear this number, and it seems to be a pretty accurate description of the origins of this number, unlike the swastika which it's originally meaning well-being. This number, 666, is mentioned in the Bible. It is mentioned in Revelations 13, 18, and the quote is, quote, Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666, end quote. This beast was an evil-looking creature that would apparently rise out of the earth, could do crazy things, and on top of all of that, would demand everyone be marked with its name or number to buy and sell things, and it would also kill the people who didn't worship it. So just a fun, all-around, lovable, cuddly teddy bear. This book, Revelations, was originally written in Greek, but there were no numbers in Greek like we know them today. So today we have 0, 1, 2, 3, stuff like that. Those numbers weren't developed until hundreds of years later. However, the Greek and Hebrew alphabet had a numeric value for each letter. So, for example, alpha was 1, beta was 2. You get the idea, kind of like how in a lot of codes, like A equals 1, B equals 2, they had that as well, but without the separate number system. And so with this system, having letters in text to convert to numbers would have been common at the time, and then vice versa, having numbers translated back into letters would also have been something people reading back then would have known how to do. So what this is, is the numeric value of one word added together and it meant something. So if the numeric value of one word added together had the same numeric value of another word that was added together, those words were thought to have a special connection. And this wasn't a rare thing. There has been Roman graffiti that has been found that says, quote, I love her whose number is 1308, end quote. As long as the math could be done correctly, in theory, you could figure out whose name that was by converting the numbers Two letters and vice versa if the letters, if you had a sentence of just letters, you could convert that to numbers. I hope that wasn't too confusing and I hope I explained it well, but basically the numbers can be translated to letters and the letters can be translated to numbers. So this 666 is assumed to have been another example of this system. It was intended to be solved when it was written all the way back in the first century. To many scholars, it was a code referenced to Nero, quote, a beastly empire who brutally persecuted early Christians in the Roman Empire, end quote. And the letters, when you spell it out, it works. You have to use the full name, which is Caesar Nero in Greek, it's translated to Hebrew and the numbers add up to 666. And to help further support this theory, there are early manuscripts of revelations that have the numbers written as 616 instead of 666, and the common explanation is that Caesar Nero is written differently in Greek and in Latin, and in the Latin, when you do this number letter translation system, the letters add up to 616. To me, this makes the most sense because you can actually point to historical people, a historical person, this system actually existed, it has been proven, it's been found in Roman graffiti, so to me, this explanation makes the most sense. And although this theory is one of them, it is not the most commonly accepted, there are many biblical theorists, and one in particular named James M. Hamilton says that it is representative of Satan and the devil. He says that the number seven represents completeness, wholeness in the biblical symbolism, And if Jesus had a number, it would be 777. And so this theory goes that assigning the number 666 to the beast is a warning to people who read that it is Satan's, quote, cheap imitation of Christ. That's the best Satan can do, one short of perfection, end quote. I guess this theory to me makes sense with, the lessons and the takeaway from the Bible that people are supposed to get, but historically speaking, and just trying to go off historical accurateness, the number-to-letter system, letters-to-number system makes more sense to me. Those are the two most popular theories and like historical explanations of what 666 means. So with that, we are going to move on to our next one, which is more commonly seen in popular culture, in just the day-to-day representation of death and mortality, and that is the skull. The skull often represents death and mortality. It is seen in literature, art, religion, political symbols, and of course, who can forget about everyone's favorite character, the pirate. So let's talk about some popular examples of when the skull is used, and let's also talk about a big holiday that uses the skull. A famous example of skull symbolism is found in a kind of under the radar small author His name is Shakespeare, and specifically in the Hamlet. In the story, Hamlet recognizes an old friend just by the friend's skull, and Hamlet says, Alas, poor Euric, I knew him, Horatio, a fellow of infinite jest. Not only is it in Shakespeare's story, where Hamlet is able to recognize someone by their skull, but it is also said that humans have the ability to recognize someone just by their skull because our brains and our bodies and whatever sight perceptions are trained to interpret this data and see a face. Now, I haven't seen really any actual skulls in my day besides the dummy skull in anatomy class. So I don't know how true that is. I read it in a couple of articles that I would mention it. So I guess if you see a skull of someone you know and you recognize them, then those couple of websites I read were correct. And congratulations but also sorry you're seeing a skull, because that's probably traumatic. There is also a Yoruba folk tale, and in case you're not aware, I was not. The Yoruba is a West African ethnic group that mainly live in Nigeria, Benin, and in the story, a man encounters a skull mounted on a post. Miraculously, the skull speaks. The skull, after being asked why it was there, said that it was there just to talk. And in this tale, the man then goes back to the town, goes to the king, tells the king what's up, and the king is like, whoa, a talking skull, I've got to see this. So they go back to the talking skull, they go back to where the skull is, but when they go back, the skull doesn't talk. In the story, the king then orders the man to be beheaded and that was all I could really find on the story. So I don't know what the moral of the story is, but that is a popular folk tale, which is super fun and exciting. And then to wrap up the discussion of the skull, I'm going to talk about a holiday that is commonly associated with the skull. Of course, Halloween is often associated with the skull, skeletons, other deadly things, but I'm gonna be talking about Dia de los Muertos, or the Day of the Dead. The Day of the Dead is a holiday that is usually celebrated on November 1st and November 2nd, and it is mainly celebrated in Mexico, but it is celebrated in areas with Mexican heritage, such as the United States and other countries. On this holiday, families leave food or other offerings on their loved one's graves, or they make temporary altars in their homes for their loved ones. The origins of this holiday stem back about 3,000 years, And it was believed that when someone died, they were to travel to the land of the dead and this journey would take several years and there would be various levels that the soul would have to travel through and specifically it was nine difficult levels. Once they finally completed this journey, their soul would then reach the final resting place. Leaving out offerings for their family souls is supposed to help energize the soul to continue on its journey. Modernly, it is now believed that on this day, the border between the spirit world and the real world dissolves, and during this time, all of the souls of the dead awaken and come back to the living world to drink, to dance, to eat, and to play music with their living relatives. Still, offerings are left out by families, and they are for the spirits. They are usually decorated with candles, other various decorations, And one of those decorations is commonly the skull. And I'm gonna post a picture of a Dia de los Muertos altar and table. And these tables are often beautifully decorated. They're very artsy, very just beautiful. So look on the social media for those pictures or look it up because it's a super cool way to honor the dead and to celebrate your loved ones. Alrighty, the last symbol I am going to talk about is pretty well known in the United States and of course is nicely recognized in the National Treasure movies. It is the pyramid with an eye, and yes, you can see it on a United States $1 bill. The symbol, the pyramid with the eye, it actually has a name, and the name is the Eye of Providence. It is commonly associated with the Freemasons, the Illuminati, and of course, conspiracy theorists love this symbol. The symbol was originally a Christian symbol, and it can be found back in religious art painted during the Renaissance period where the symbol was used to represent God. The symbol, it was painted onto a 1525 painting in the early 1600s, so it was like added on to an earlier painting and that specific painting is one of the earliest known examples of the symbol. There's another early example of the symbol from a book called the Iconologia, which was published in 1593. It was a book of emblems and it was used as a sign of God's watchfulness over humanity. No one knows who first used the symbol or who invented the symbol. But the triangle is often connected to Christianity, three sides, three points, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And while the triangle, the pyramid, is an important part of this, there's also the symbol of the eye. And the eye symbol goes way, way back, all the way back to ancient Egyptians who were the first to use the detached eye as a symbol or a design. After the symbol of the pyramid and the eye became more popular, it started popping up in various things such as literature and eventually founding documents. In 1782, the seal of the United States was unveiled and you guessed it, it was the pyramid with the eye. This symbol, it was proposed by Charles Thompson, who was the secretary of the Continental Congress, and he was the one that came up with the idea for the symbol. There were other symbol suggestions and contributions that were made by various founding fathers, one of which was Benjamin Franklin, but it was ultimately Charles Thompson's idea that was selected to be the symbol of the United States. The symbol itself is or was an unfinished pyramid and it was used to represent strength and duration, and the unfinished pyramid had 13 steps which represented the original states in the United States. The eye over the top of the symbol again is representative of God's oversight of the new nation, and even though this symbol goes back to the founding of the United States, There are no known ties to Freemasonry involved with the choice of using this symbol. So right away, we're knocking out the Freemasons. And why this is known is the Freemasons, the Masons, they didn't use this symbol until late in the 18th century after it had been chosen as the symbol of the United States. On top of them not using the symbol until after it was chosen, the only Mason who was among the design committees with these symbols was Benjamin Franklin. And as I said before, Benjamin Franklin's designs weren't used, weren't approved. So there is no ties to Masonry or the Freemasons. So goodbye Masonry. And on top of that, there have been different Freemason organizations that have specifically denied a connection to the creation or the use of this symbol. So bye bye Freemasons, and in terms of the Illuminati, there's really no solid ties of the Illuminati to this symbol other than theories people come up with in pop culture. So even though this symbol is thought to be mysterious by many, thought to have connections to a secret society, it not only lacks that support, but there is a lot of evidence proving otherwise. So the next time you look at a one dollar bill and you see that symbol, sorry to crush your hopes, but it really does not connect to secret societies that probably don't exist. It connects to a symbol representing hope and strength of a new country, and of course, God's eye watching over it. And with that, that concludes evil symbols and their history. I think it's interesting because of the four symbols I talked about, really only two of them are quote-unquote evil. There's the 666, which is connected possibly to the devil, and then the skull is connected to death. So if you see death as evil, sure. But the swastika's origins are well-being and wellness, but of course now it's representative of hate and a lot of times white nationalism, so that's not cool. I hope you enjoyed this episode, I hope you learned something, thank you so much for listening. As I've mentioned, I'm going to be posting photos on social media, on Instagram at Scandal101Podcast, on Twitter at Scandal101Pod, on Facebook, search Scandal101Podcast, you'll find the page there. The website is scandal101podcast.podbean.com. You can find the show notes there. You can also find the show notes in the description of the episode. And then lastly, if you have a suggestion for an episode topic or if you want to send in your personal scandal to be read on the podcast, please send that to scandal101podcast at gmail.com. This episode was super interesting to research. There's probably going to be a part two later on down the road with more symbols and darkness like Friday the 13th, what's the deal with that? We'll find out later. And with that funny and witty ending, this has been episode 59 of Scandal 101.